Welcome to the City Collective Podcast. We believe we are better together and exist to create space for everyone to discover life in Jesus. We hope that you encounter the heart of God and are challenged and inspired in your relationship with Christ. Our reading this morning is from Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. It says, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. We're in the final week of a series that has been navigating through the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, We'll be making our way back here uh, not too long from now, but it's been a meaningful journey, I hope, for for yourself. I know it's been a meaningful journey for myself to, to consider the words of Jesus and wherever you find yourself on your journey of faith, uh, we hope that this has been a, a safe and meaningful space for you. Christian, non-Christian, not sure about Jesus, uh, we want you to feel welcome here and that this is something that you can truly engage in. Uh, I believe that these words from Jesus are, are for all of us. Over the course of the sermon, what Jesus has done is he started with providing a, a, almost like a personality profile, looking at character through the Beatitudes. And he's looking at the character of people in whom the Holy Spirit dwells. And then he moves from character to behavior. And in the way in which we're invited to live, that's different than the manner in which the world seemed to move. And now today, he begins to take us to another place. The rest of the sermon, Jesus wishes to take us deeper. And he has been looking at the heart, but he wants to continue to go beyond character, beyond behavior, and down to the deeper movements of your life. The lover of our soul wants to continue the radical heart surgery, looking at the means in which we relate to him. Now I wonder as we read this text together, and it's titled often, if you've ever read it in in your Bibles, uh, Giving to the Needy. And sometimes when we come across a text like this, I feel like we're pretty quick to, to glance over it. Of course, a religious leader is telling us to give to the needy. We, we, we are quick to kind of move past it. But the manner in which Jesus is actually trying to communicate and what he's trying to leave us with isn't exactly what's expected. Spoiler alert, what Jesus is actually doing here in this portion of the sermon is different than what it might seem like at the first glance. Because, first of all, Jesus isn't trying to convince us, the listeners, to give. It's not the purpose of this text. And we're going to talk about this more, but I think it's worth noting that the very first thing that Jesus does at the beginning of Matthew chapter 6 is provide a warning. Whereas Matthew chapter 5 has has call-outs upon the assumptions of the, the Jewish people who were listening at the time, meant to trigger the minds of the listeners so they might hear a grander story being told. But here, what he does is he provides a warning because he's going to matters of the heart. And before he gets to the matters of the heart, he wants us to know that your heart matters. Jesus' concern all the way through, and from this point onwards, 
in extreme acute focus. Jesus' concern is authentic spirituality, and he calls each of us to constant vigilance. Not, not vigilance through theology as our backbone and well-thought-out ideas, not experience within a communal setting or within a, a, a church, but a constant vigilance in the authenticity of your heart. As we approach the text this morning, I wonder if some of our vigilance has been lost in this past season. If we've gotten lost in the motions of life and we're invited to consider this morning what the authenticity of our heart really looks like. Because here's the thing, whenever we get lost in the motions of life and vigilance gets lost, what often replaces vigilance is arrogance. And maybe it's not arrogance directed in a relationship or at someone, but it's an arrogance that says, I already know this, so I'm good. So maybe the words of a worship song are in one ear, out the other. Or the words of a sermon don't really stick at all because we're like, oh, I've heard it all before, so that's about it. And we've closed ourselves off to the moving of the Holy Spirit to do more than simply our previous experiences or previous engagement with the text. What really is the authenticity of the heart we must, most, we must be most vigilant about? It's what Jesus is talking about here, our motivation. We're going to look at five different ideas within our text today. And first of all, it's this idea that our motivation matters. And this is, like I said, what Jesus is talking about. And motivation is an interesting thing because it's the question around what really drives us. And each of us in the room, you're uniquely made and there's, there's different things that spark your, your curiosity and they, they drive your imagination. And when considering this passage and the passages we'll be talking about in the future, Jesus is acutely aware of how fickle our motivation can be. And in fact, he's, he's very aware of the weight of the approval of others within our motivation. Does anyone else find that a difficult piece of their life? That you care more about others than you care to admit. You care more about the approval of others than you care to admit. That it takes way too much space in your brain, in your decision making, in your motivation than you know should actually be there. I, I'm in that category. Therefore, Jesus is speaking directly to this because he treats this idea of motivation and the approval of others with incredible urgency. He leads with a warning. He opens with that and then he gives these three avenues. And we're only looking at the first four verses today, but verse 1 through 18 is all kind of tied together in this original idea of motivation. He looks at three avenues. He looks at almsgiving, giving to the needy. He looks at prayer and he looks at fasting. And for the listeners of the day, why does he lean into those three areas? Well, because those practices would have been recognized as the most prominent spiritual disciplines of that day. It's different with our church culture today. I would say that often the practices within our modern Western church are often prayer, reading your Bible, and going to church. Nothing's wrong with those things, but that isn't what Jesus is actually focusing on. And that wasn't what the Jewish people were experiencing when they were talking about practices. It's just different. And much like our practices, 
When we engage in those spiritual practices, they're meant to develop a relationship with God. And that's also what it was for the Jewish people. Jesus isn't trying to convince them to give. Jesus is just assuming that that is what takes place when you are trying to build a relationship with God. And he actually completely skips past the call to do it. Because mainstream Judaism scholars contend that these three were the most prominent practical requirements of personal piety. Say that five times. Uh, In Hebrew, the word for almsgiving can also be used for righteousness. So to be righteous, to be in right relationship with God, was to give to the needy. And to give to the needy was to be in right relationship with God. History tells us that in AD 70, the Roman general Titus was part of the destruction of the city of Jerusalem and the temple itself. And it essentially marked the end of Israel as we knew it. Because they had to essentially invent their spiritual practices and their religious traditions. Because if there was no temple, there was no more priesthood, there was no sacrificial system. And when you look at the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, you're going to see that it becomes really difficult to accomplish what is being set before them without the temple in place. Therefore, what we see today within Judaism is extremely different than what was in Jesus' day. In fact, much of the word itself connects, just like much of the word connects itself with righteousness to giving to the needy, giving to the needy actually replaced the sacrificial system as a way of atonement in those years to come for those within Judaism. So if you were living in a different place, um, if you were living in Italy and you're, you're in a ghetto neighborhood because you've been forced out of your land, you, instead of offering uh, a sacrifice for the atoning of your sins, you would go and, and give an offering to those who were needing a little bit extra. You would go serve in a community. You would give of your finances and whatever you needed to do in order to atone for your sin. Now, I'm not making a theological statement on this. I'm just saying that Jesus was very aware of the importance of giving to the needy, and those who were listening were very aware of this as well. Jesus was aware that caring for the poor was not a state-run program. In fact, much of it took place within the synagogues, and it was based on generous people. So what Jesus is doing right off the bat is he's tapping into a high value within the society itself that was in alignment with the high value of the Father. And he's working off of this cultural assumption that it's not if you give to the needy, it's when you give to the needy. He isn't trying to convince those listening to give. He's asking them to consider this. Consider the motivation that you have when you do. So this is the second idea. Hypocrisy is a well-traveled path. So what Jesus does next is he takes the listeners on a journey to consider two different paths. First is this path of hypocrisy. Unfortunately, in our modern day context and in general, a hypocrite has become far too common of a word associated with those who are followers of Jesus, leaders and people in the church in our modern day context. And in many cases, it is justified. Not trying to dissuade anyone from using the word when it is necessary. But there's many atheist debaters, Dawkins and Harris, who 
like to harp on this idea that Christians are hypocrites. And funny enough, the first person to really go after people for being hypocrites was probably Jesus. Jesus feels very, very strongly about this idea. Because what he did is he saw the danger of misplaced motivation and the fruit of hypocrisy that it bears. In the Greek, the word hypocrites is a word that actually means stage actor. And that's the image that those who were listening at the time would have had come to mind. A stage actor, someone who dons a mask and takes on a character that is not themselves. And this actor is pretending to be somebody else leave that there. This, the way this situation kind of plays out is a dramatic moment in a movie where somebody bursts into a room and it's an investigator and they look around everyone in the room. They're like, the murderer is in the room. And they say it with dramatic pause, dramatic effect. And then they point at someone. They say, and that's them. It's kind of what Jesus does right here because he says there are hypocrites that have lost their motivation. And guess who it is? It's the Pharisees. And he calls them out pretty hard in front of all of those people. He doesn't just say hypocrites. He says those people who are hypocrites are like the Pharisees. And let me say this. Jesus cares deeply about his followers not being Pharisees. Earlier in the the Mount, outlines it in Matthew chapter 23. And he calls Pharisees hypocrites seven times. He, He calls them blind guides twice. And he calls them beautiful on the outside but dead on the inside. Jesus and he punches when he's talking about the Pharisees. Because a hypocrite, in Jesus' mind, puts on a show, which is why he presents it in such a dramatic manner. And here's the thing we know about people at that time, that they, didn't, they weren't giving and they weren't having people around them have trumpets resound when they gave. But in the synagogues of the day, the listeners would have been aware of Jesus' jab because there was a giving box in the synagogue. And it was actually made of a ram's horn similar to a shofar. Shofar is similar to a trumpet. So those coming would, would actually, if they threw their coins in this ram's horn, it would create quite the sound if they did so. And if they had more than one to give, maybe they tossed it from, from far off. Kobe, like they're, 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 trying to, they're trying to shoot shots from distance. They're trying to make sure people notice. And it's one at a time, one at a time. And Jesus is saying, don't be like those people. I don't care how much they are giving. The way in which they're giving speaks to a motivation that is completely absent of my heart. What he wants us to understand is that he cares deeply about why we do the things we do, not simply what we choose to do. We've all been there. We've all made the mistake of trying to do something and then it's not got the right reasoning behind it. And we've been motivated in our unnecessary, embarrassing action. I I, I know I've done it where if I was to reflect back upon the thing that I did to get other people's attention, it's a little bit cringy. And I wonder what was going through my mind in that moment. The motivation of this unnecessary, embarrassing action was what? What's the motivation that has captured the imagination of humanity? Was relevant then, it's relevant now. The motivation was the approval of others. 
What is the reward we receive from other people? Approval. The hypocrite is after human approval. Galatians 1 verse 10 says, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. This is Paul writing. And for some of you today, the word hypocrite feels extremely jarring, perhaps, or it feels like absent of how you would even consider people or even put that through the filter for yourself. But Jesus is giving this warning to everyone who's listening for a reason. If your motivation is the approval of others, then you are on a dangerous path to hypocrisy. If your motivation for the actions of your life, no matter how good those actions are, if the motivation is the approval of others, the path you are going down is hypocrisy. And I'm not just talking about cultural approval. Some of you might be saying, well, people don't really like what I do. I I seem to push against the grain. Uh, I'm an anti-establishment, libertarian. Like this is, people don't really agree with me in general. I'm not even talking about cultural approval. I'm talking about seeking the approval of maybe a single individual above the approval of God. If there is that in the midst of our motivation, we need to be guarding our heart. We need to be on guard is perhaps a better translation of the manner in which our motivation is leading us. And here's the thing. The the third idea is actually seeking approval isn't a bad thing. This is interesting to note because there is a physical response that happens within us, a a neurochemical response that takes place when we experience approval. We get this dopamine hit when someone gives us a like on Instagram. There is real studies that talk about the manner in which this this low-hanging fruit of social media actually feeds this neurochemical manner in which we seek and desire approval. When we get that like on Instagram, when we get that comment that comes through, when someone sends that message, or when someone actually calls us in person or talks to us in person and tells us something good. We get this dopamine hit that no wonder we feel good in that moment. All this to say, that is the way that you're designed. Therefore, seeking approval is not a bad thing. That is the way that you've actually been designed. The the problem that Jesus is presenting is that, is not that Feeling valued is a bad thing is that you're choosing to seek your approval in the wrong places. If we're going to do good things for the approval of the kingdoms of this world, we will find ourselves still longing for the approval of the king of heaven. This morning isn't about the approval. The morning isn't about approval. It's about what, where we're seeking it from. And what Jesus is leading us towards is he's saying that God is the only one who can truly see you. That the approval that he gives to you is all-consuming and it's across the board. He knows you. Every bit of your life, from the secrets to the public, he knows it all. And in the midst of knowing it all, his love for you is unconditional and unfleeting. It, it, it is present. It doesn't go anywhere in the midst of the journey of life. Therefore, the only approval that will really fulfill us and lead us to a place of joy is the approval of God. And this is 
what Jesus is actually saying before us. The motivation of your heart isn't to eliminate approval. It's to, it's to direct where the approval is coming from. When the motivations of people get found out and approval is what they were seeking, what our culture has done is we have created cancel culture. This is what has happened. In many ways, our cancel culture is a byproduct of a world that has not heeded the warning of motivation given by Jesus. And unfortunately, this lost motivation and this cancel culture that has been born out of it has produced a couple different things. It's produced tribalism. I won't venture out of my circle, so I'm going to stay in what's comfortable. Secrecy, keeping things in the dark. I don't want anyone to know about anything. Therefore, creating loneliness and apathy. No one's going to accept what I do anyways. I'm going to get canceled by the culture in general, so why should I do anything good at all? So, but hear me on this. I'm not diminishing the fact that those who are in power and authority need to be held to a place of justice and critique. But there is a propensity within this cancel culture that has extended into our general treatment of everyone. Every week, Someone has an instant rise and just as quick of a fall. And in turn, the motivation of people is, I'm going to operate from a place that isn't even about approval, but it's a fear of being canceled. Our motivation has been completely shot. The first thing that Jesus is presenting to us is this idea that humility is the better path. He says this. He says, then you give to the needy. When you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. If the first path is hypocrisy, the better path is humility. And again, he uses a fairly dramatic illustration because, let's be honest, you can't hide what you're doing from your right hand to your left. It's, it's not actually possible. So what's Jesus actually saying? If you were to try and hide something from your right hand to your left, it's like telling someone, stop thinking about the pink leprechaun, and then you start thinking about the pink leprechaun, and you're only thinking about the pink leprechaun because the pink leprechaun is what you said, and now your right hand knows what your left hand is doing. It, it, it almost doesn't, it doesn't work. But what Jesus is saying is that there is a natural rhythm of generosity and of spiritual practice that comes out of a life that is so focused on Jesus that it's like this. It's like you're driving the same car for 10 years. I don't know about you, and I don't know if this is perfectly safe, but sometimes I get in my car and I don't remember all the things I did to get my car from point A to point B. My, my, my foot is doing things automatically. I'm turning the wheel naturally. I'm, I'm putting my blinker on when I'm turning and I'm going a direction, a route that I normally go. There's a manner in which when you do things on a consistent manner with a genuine and with a, a good motivation, the natural response of your life is that your right hand is not thinking about what your left hand is doing because your right hand is just doing it. It's just being generous. Your life is just a generous one. You're not trying to actually overthink it. Sometimes we need to start from the place of thinking about it, but my right hand is doing it because my life has been that, and I've experienced the heart of the Father. The heart of the Father is being reflected through me. Doing good deeds for others is then 
a life responding to being absorbed in the love of God. And then you hardly notice that it's your own deed and then you hardly remember it. And this is, this is a nice idea. A lot of this, to be honest, is a nice idea. I want the approval of God over the approval of others. I'm going to make sure that I'm going to be humble in the generosity of my life. And it almost seems to be, be conflicting with some of the ideas that Jesus provides in Matthew chapter 5. If you remember, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, he talks about letting your light shine so that others might know who I am. And that sounds like kind of the opposite of do things in secret. There seems to be a conflict there between Matthew 5 and Matthew 6, but it's the same servant. Yet Jesus cautions us, be on guard from being hypocrites in our public generosity. So, so which is it? Do I do things in secret or do I do things so my light shines and everyone can see? And this is what I, I've come to conclude. Matthew 5 seems to be a call to visible discipleship. Matthew 6 seems to be a call to invisible discipleship. And can this apparent contradiction be solved? Yes. And it all turns on motivation. In Matthew chapter 5, the motive for visibility is bringing glory to God. Be the light, the city on the hill, that as travelers go through the night, they might see the direction of the kingdom in front of them. And do things in secret so that your hearts might not be twisted by the generosity that you're trying to pursue. The 19th century scholar A.B. Bruce, he says, We are to show when we are tempted to hide and hide when we are tempted to show. Because the reality is, disciples of Jesus, when you are generous, you're going to be noticed. And, and it might touch people, and it might lead people to a good question. It might lead people to have more of an idea of what Jesus is about. But if our motivation is a God orientation, not a people orientation, Jesus is saying, just continue to be focused on the motivation of your heart in the midst of all the things you do. The issue Jesus is presenting is not public worship, but worship for publicity. Not public practice, but practice for publicity. The issue is motive. Listen, if you are living and giving from a humble posture and somebody happens to see you, give glory to God. And I've heard this argument that it doesn't matter if I'm just doing good things. I would say that Jesus' teaching says exactly the opposite. Jesus really confronts this line of thinking. And this idea, this argument, I think, is even within our culture as a whole. Our culture is obsessed with this idea of our image just looking good over being good. Seeking applause and affirmation and not seeking to actually have our hearts be transformed. And the reality of it all is that when we are pursuing being someone that we're actually not, where our motivations are still tainted, it is exhausting. It is exhausting to pretend to be someone that you are not. And then we come to this uncomfortable conclusion. person is harder than it's worth. I'm trying to do all the good things and I'm exhausted by it. 
This world is not meant for it. And we, we grow jaded. And we go, grow confused. And we get to this conclusion that, well, good works almost aren't worth it for how much it costs me. And we get to this space and we find ourselves completely broken down to the point where we're completely apathetic about any idea of doing that which is good. Point five. Jesus takes us down this path of asking us about what is the reward you seek? What's the approval that you're looking for? And the fifth idea is you get the reward you seek. You get the reward you seek. And I find it interesting. Sometimes when we come across this word reward in the Bible, we get a little, a little skittish. We have this like elevated idea of authentic spirituality that reward isn't associated with it. Let's get over ourselves. Jesus talks about reward. The question is, what do we associate reward with? There's a lot of language in the Bible about reward, and it's, it's a, a lot of different things are, are presented of what that reward might be. And he wraps up his thoughts by saying, then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. When we give or we fast or we pray in order to be seen, Jesus says in this text, you'll get what you wanted. You're going to be seen. And that's all you're going to get. You're going to get the approval of others. And that's all you're going to get. The motivation that your heart desires, you're going to get the reward you seek. Jesus isn't talking about a punishment, about doing something wrong or having bad motivation. He's telling us that the motivations of your heart will take you where you want to go. Three times Jesus says they have received their reward. Hypocrites. Three times Jesus uses the word, which is the technical business and commerce word for payment receded account. And if I give to demonstrate how generous I am and bask in other people's gratitude, I'm going to get that. Here's the thing. Reward is mentioned 61 times in the Old Testament and 38 times in the New. And it, it can mean a variety of different things. It means eternal life, good life, wisdom, freedom. Paul put a crown in 1 Corinthians 9. And here's what I came back to over and over again. I really wanted this idea of reward to present to you this morning that was going to be incredibly captivating and this idea that we're all going to get fired up about this reward that's beyond all that we do, but it just came to this conclusion, space after space, scholar after scholar, comes to this space of what the reward actually is. And the reward is to be with your Father in heaven. And that might not be satisfying at this exact moment. <laughs> the, the text at the very beginning, it, it says very specifically, reward with your Father in heaven. Not every translation uses it. I think it's the most accurate translation when it talks about reward with your Father in heaven. The reward of exercising your spiritual disciplines. Let's remember, that's what we're talking about. 
giving to the needy, prayer, and fasting. These are spiritual disciplines. What's the purpose of a spiritual discipline? It's to get into relationship with the Father. Therefore, if the motivation of a spiritual discipline is pure, it's to get into relationship with the Father. And if I get the reward that I seek, and the thing that I seek is relationship with the Father, then the thing that you're going to get is to be with the Father. And Jesus is asking his disciples and those listening, is that enough? Is it enough to be with the Father? I'm not just talking about in days to come, I'm talking about the Father being with you now. In relationship, to feel the freedom and peace and joy that comes from being with the Father when you do good deeds, is that enough? And if it does not feel like it is, then the question for your heart this morning is then where is your motivation? And are you seeking the approval of others for the things that you do? This is something we all battle with. We want to be seen, we want to be valued, we want to be known, we want to be seen as worthwhile in this, in this world. And Jesus is saying, I've made you in such a way that you would desire approval, but I want to take you to a place where that will actually be fulfilled and not be a fleeting dopamine hit that will leave you on a high and then drop you to a low. There's more that he has for us. Worship team, you can join me at the front. We're going to be taking communion in a moment here. And as we come to the front, this question of motivation is in everything that we do. And I, and I genuinely want you to be asking it. In this journey of following Jesus, our authentic spirituality is a question of our motivation. When you come to the front and you're receiving communion, what's the motivation? Is it religious practice? Or is it that I want to be in a practice that draws my heart to the Father? We need to be vigilant in the questions of our motivation. This doesn't simply extend in this moment. It's in all that we do. What's your motivation of the words that you say? What's the motivations of the actions you take? What's your motivation for being in different places? Jesus wants your heart. And he wants the motivations of your life to be reflective of his. Not simply to do the good things for the right reasons. But because that is when your life will flourish to the fullest. This is what the whole Sermon on the Mount is. That you and I might find a life that is flourishing. And at the core of it is this place of motivation. Anthony, you can go ahead and play. I have this picture when it comes to uh, hypocrisy and humility. I, I, I'm not a particularly outdoorsy person, but I do love elements of the outdoors, just not when I have to sleep in it. Um, if there's a cabin nearby, then it's great. And then I can go outside and I grew up in Alberta and there's like spaces where it's just like open plains and there's an open night sky. And then I've been in New York City in the, in the late hours of the day and you're walking through and there's billboards everywhere and they're drawing your attention. And it's funny that you don't look up at the night sky when there's billboards all around you trying to 
all your attention. I almost think about this idea of hypocrisy as this light pollution. We're blitzed with these billboards of look at me, look at you. There's so much that I want to draw your attention towards and come and see this. Oh, you're doing a great job. Oh, get your approval here. That's going to be really wonderful. Or if you, if you turn here, that's where your attention should be. When in reality, humility is the open night sky where we look up and we see the grandeur and the beauty of heaven. And there's something that takes place within us that's just completely in awe. I don't know about you, but when, when I have the opportunity to look up at the stars, I'm not thinking about, man, it would be awesome if I put a star up there. I'm just like, that's an amazing star. What a vision of humanity that we are blessed with the beauty of creation for us to behold. Where's your motivation this morning? Has your heart been robbed of the approval of God because it has been overwhelmed by the approval of others. Jesus, would you heal our hearts? We offer this space to you where our motivation has been twisted, make it right. Where we long for the approval of others, provide freedom. It feels like a chain, a claw that's wrapped around our throats sometimes and we can't even breathe because we're just fighting to have others like us or to look at us or approve us. Father, I just pray for freedom for every person here today. That the motivations of our life, the actions of our life would be reflective of a confidence and a boldness that you are all we need, that you are, Jesus, more than enough. Holy Spirit, Release the chains of approval of others that bind us. Wipe away the words that tore us down after we were raised up so quickly. In, in this cancel culture mindset, I pray that there is healing from the words that have been directed towards us that are not true. Instead, may we hear the words of heaven my beloved, I am yours and you are mine. May our motivations be healed this morning in our practices. May we just desire you because you are more than enough. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope it encouraged and blessed you in your walk with our Lord Jesus Christ. To keep up with City Collective, make sure to check us out on Instagram and Facebook at City Collective Church. Have a great week.